Thanks, Stuart. Stuart and I share an affliction this morning, so my voice isn't real great either. Um, he was just asking if this was coffee. It's uh, lemon. Uh, so I'm, trying to, I'm going to try and uh, keep my voice going through throughout. One second. Really should move that closer. Um, uh, we didn't get it the same way, though. You sound like you're legitimately sick. I was at a... I was at a German restaurant last night and we were seated about five feet from this full brass band thing. So we're yelling at the tops of our voices to hear each other all night and uh, this is the result. So you'll have to excuse me and this business. Um, this morning, uh, oh, I should say too, if you're wondering where David is, he's on leave for the next few weeks. So he's up in New South Wales. Uh, him and Bev are up there enjoying themselves. So just if you're wondering, that's, that's where he is. Um, what comes to mind when I say the word reconciliation? Um, I want you to turn to each other, just, you know, like free association here. Just say the first idea that comes into your mind when you, say reconcil- when you think of the word reconciliation. And I'm going to set myself up and you're going to have a little chat. So reconciliation, what does that mean to you? Alrighty. Can I... I don't know if I have the power to bring you all back. (laughs) Uh, Does anyone want to call out some of the stuff that they said? Reconciliation. What do you think of? Just just words. Go. Just call them out. Forgiveness. Ah, two at the same answer at the same time too. Wow, must be a good one. Uh, Anything else? Restoration. Restoration. Yep, Absolutely. Enemies made friends. That's a really good way of putting it. Anything else? Making things right. Yep, absolutely. Uh, You know what comes to mind when I think of reconciliation? I immediately think of Aboriginal land rights, uh, Australia saying sorry, um, and all that sort of stuff. Because just watching the news, that's, that's essentially where you hear the word reconciliation the most. And so it's kind of got this big picture ring to it, doesn't it? Reconciliation. Seems like something that, that, you know, enemies made friends, you know, you think uh, two warring tribes or uh, countries that don't get along well or politics or all this sort of stuff, you know, reconciliation, it's a big thing. Um, I often have trouble relating it to myself personally. It doesn't feel like something uh, that I have much of a connection with, reconciliation, what does that mean? We tend to use words like saying sorry, forgiveness, um, you know, making things right. But we don't tend to use this big big picture word, reconciliation. However, uh, my view is if, uh, if you have a relationship with Jesus, um, by definition, you need to be intimately familiar with reconciliation because at, at, at one level, very true, um, Jesus has reconciled you with God, Right? Um, but it also impacts our interrelationship with each other, reconciliation. It's a value that we have to hold uh, as Christians. We don't really get a choice about it. Um, I was chatting with a guy last night, uh, a non-Christian guy, and um, he was asking about what I do. And I said, I'm a a youth pastor at a church, and he had no idea what that meant, so I explained it a bit. And he said, oh, yeah, my, my uncle's a pastor, but... Uh, you know, he's the only one in the family who kind of has a, has any sort of belief, and uh, we don't really know what he does. And 
I, I think it's just, it's kind of separated him a bit from the family. So we're just talking about that. And I was explaining to him how, um, you know, when you become a Christian, you, jo- you join a church, um, you find a community. Because his, his thing was, oh, it's almost like he doesn't, the family's not the first place he comes to with his problems and whatever, which is probably true for most of us anyway. But that was the thing that he'd picked up on. And um, I said, oh, it's really unique. You know, you, you join a church um, and you find a type of community that you really don't find anywhere else. Um, there's certain values that we hold, even on the way that we relate to each other. You know, we, we espouse values like um, honesty, opening up to each other, walking the journey together, sharing each other's pain, sharing each other's joy. Um, we see each other on a really regular basis. You know, if you're in a small group, you might see those people two times a week, Sunday, Thursday, uh, Friday, whenever you do your small group. Um, and you'll see them and you won't just kind of go, hi, it's hi and now let's kind of talk about something that's meaningful to all of us. So it's a bit of a unique, bit of a unique thing. You, know, you don't you know, go down to the local cricket club and someone goes, oh, tell me about your deepest feelings. You know, They just want to talk about the cricket. Uh, you, you join scouts, I assume they just want to tie knots or something. Um, there's, no real, there's no real duplication of the church that I know of. But one of the side effects of that is conflict can be a really big thing here. You, you turn up multiple times a week, you see these people, you're on committees together, you're doing ministry together, um, you're organising breakfasts together. Like I said, you, you, you're talking about personal things, you're sharing the joy of life, you're sharing the pain of life. Um, you're actually, if you're doing it well, you're actively inviting people to, to input into your life and tell you when you're not doing well and to, to say, ah, oh, look, actually, your attitude about that's not real great. You know, this is the sort of thing that we're inviting into our lives by being here. And so conflict happens a lot um, and maybe more than any other sort of community group that I can think of. Um, the Apostle Paul, he was so familiar with this. Uh, he was a guy of very strong conviction. Uh, I imagine probably a bit of a temper as well, kind of comes across. He doesn't seem to suffer fools too easily. And uh, I think the sort of guy he was, he didn't... He didn't shirk back from getting into the nitty-gritty of life. Um, if you want to flip over to Acts 15, this is, this is not the text we're looking at. This is just the, this is the, the frame that we're going to put our picture into. If you can imagine a picture frame, this is the picture frame. Is uh, Acts 15. Uh, I won't read it verbatim. I'll just kind of give you an explanation. Uh, so you start around verse 36 there and... Um, Paul is saying to Barnabas, who he's travelling with, uh, let's return to the cities that we previously preached in because they've been touring all around the known world um, and see how all these new believers are getting along. And Barnabas says, great, let's take John Mark as well. And Paul disagrees really strongly. Um, He says, no, Mark left us uh, in another city, Pamphylia. He, He left us, he, you know, walked off. So um, I don't want to take him along. Um, and, and honestly, that's kind of the whole explanation we get. We don't get to know if Mark kind of left because he had to go home and feed his dog or did he go home because he just got sick of it or, you know, we don't know. Um, we don't know kind of the ins and outs of the back and forth between Paul and Barnabas. All we know is they disagreed strongly enough um, that... Uh, it goes on to say um, they were uno- a- unable to resolve their issue 
and they parted ways. So Barnabas takes John Mark and uh, they go off on their trip and Paul takes Silas and he goes off on his trip and they, they go like this. Now the amazing thing about this is these, these guys are like the titans of the faith. These are big, big deal. And uh, if you were to flip backwards, don't, don't but if you were, uh, to Acts 14, um, you would see them resolving like major conflict, international church conflict uh, between the Gentile and Jewish church. These guys are the, are the problem solvers. They come in and they navigate all the issues where the Gentiles and the Jew, Jewish Christians were saying, we don't, we don't think they're real Christians. We don't think we can get along. And these guys solve a potential international church split. But they can't kind of get it together around John Mark. And it really shows how human they are. Um, Paul, Barnabas, not perfect, um, but it, it lets us know, okay, so if these guys have conflict, if they have major stuff that happens and interpersonal stuff that happens and they can't always figure it out and they can't always get along, um, we're probably setting the bar a little high if we say, oh, no, no, we'll, we'll be fine. We'll never have any conflict. We'll never argue. We'll never feel offended or anything. We're, we're all perfect. Um, we're probably setting ourselves up for some unrealistic expectations. Um, the really interesting thing of is the thing about this is that um, you know Paul leaves and he's got this long tour ahead of him. So he goes. They've planted all these churches and um, he's taking Silas back around the churches, going to check on all the new believers, see how they're doing. And these guys look up to Paul. He is like a major deal. And uh, if you wanted, you know, post-Jesus, if you wanted kind of the example of who to follow, Paul would have been in your top three, if not your first choice. Uh, absolutely. And, and he'd done amazing things. You know, apart from solving this major, major church issue, he'd been stoned, tortured, beaten, driven out of cities, like never denied Christ. You couldn't think of a better example. So imagine that. Imagine you're Paul. And you've had this, you've had this argument. You've uh, you walked off at a half and gone, oh, you take John then, I'm, I'm going with Silas. And then you've got to go town to town to these cities where everyone looks up to you and they go, where's Barnabas? And you've got to go, oh, had a bit of a fight. Oh, we didn't get along. Oh. It'd be so embarrassing, wouldn't it? It'd be actually quite a humbling experience to all these people looking up to you and you've got to go and essentially confess and reconfess and explain uh, we had some conflict and we couldn't sort it out. So these guys got into it. Um, the great thing about this is though, and again we don't get an explanation, but the great thing about this is we know that they were able to resolve it. So um, end of Second Timothy, I think, or I've got my references here. Yeah, end of Second Timothy, um, Paul writes... Uh, Send me Mark. He'll be helpful to me. So this is, this is in the future from this point. Um, in Colossians, he says, welcome Mark. You know, make, him, make him welcome. So some point between writing Second Timothy and Colossians, they resolved their differences. And Paul values him as a really great um, team member in ministry. But at this point, back in Acts 15, that hasn't happened yet. So how does that happen? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say did they? Did Mark send him flowers? Did uh, you know? We we don't know. So we're kind of left to fill in the gaps. 
So where does that leave us? You know, if we're saying, well, we have conflict and we know they managed to sort it out, but how did they do that? Um, what do we have as our example? And this is why I say Acts 15 is just the frame. Now we're going to put the picture in. Um, our real text for today is uh, the book, the whole book. I'm being super ambitious. The whole book of Philemon, or at least that's how I think you pronounce it. Uh, I've not yet been able to get one of my New Testament lecturers at college to, to tell me. could be Philemon, Philemon, Philemon. You can take your pick. Philemon sounds like probably what I'm drinking here. Um, or some sort of cleaning agent, maybe. Philemon cuts through grease. Uh, sorry, there's Acts 13. So that's just the reference of, um, yeah, Mark left them. So I'm going to read through and uh, you can follow along. Um, let's see. So it says... I always thank God, always thank my God, as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and I could order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you do would not seem to be forced uh, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. So what's going on here? Let me, that's, that's the book of Philemon. That's why I can be so ambitious. It's a tiny book. Um, What's going on? Seems like a slave named Onesimus ran away from his owner, Philemon, um, found his way probably to Rome, met Paul. Uh, Paul led Onesimus to Christ and he joins Paul's ministry. Uh, so after a while, Paul said, you probably got to go home. You can't just run away from your problems. You've got to go home. 
So Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon, who he also knew, um, with this appeal uh, that Philemon should forgive his runaway slave. So that's our quick overview of events. But the thing about reconciliation is it's not really about the events. It's about the interpersonal relationship. It's about getting in and understanding how do these people relate to each other and what can we learn from that. So, um, as I said before, Paul's this major player in the church, um, missionary extraordinaire, planted so many churches, wrote most of the New Testament, um, absolute commitment to Christ, you couldn't question him, guy knew his stuff, um, he was a heavy hitter theologically, um, instrumental in bridging that Jew-Gentile gap. Um, man, the guy was so tough, he'd even pull the Apostle Peter up when Peter wasn't doing the right thing. The guy just, he didn't have any fear. Um, and he was the one who led Philemon to Christ as well. So you've got to keep that in mind. Um, so if you were Philemon and Paul writes you a letter asking you to do something... You don't kind of say no, do you? You don't kind of go, what are you, some chump? Who do you think you are telling me what to do? You take him really seriously. You take him really seriously. Um, Paul really comes with the authority, if he wants to, to just say, do it. But he doesn't do that. Um, a few months after Rachel had come to Australia, um, she, uh, she convinced me to join a gym. Now, gyms are not my scene um, and I promise you there has never been a more reluctant member of Aquarina Gym ever, I, I can guarantee it. So, Rach, um, we, 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 Rach used to work in Doncaster so there'd be a bit of driving back and forth and we'd be sitting in the car and she'd be going, oh, you really, you know, we could do it together, it'd be so much fun and you'd feel so good, you'd be fit and oh, wouldn't that be amazing and you know, what a thing to do as a couple, da, da, da. Jim's just kind of kill me a little bit inside. I just, I, I can feel my internals just kind of shriveling up. Um, and I, I, it really brings out my inner petulant child. So most, mostly she would say, oh, you really should do it. And I'm just like, oh, I don't want to. And that was, <laughs> I kid you not, that was kind of like where I was, where I was feeling about it. Um, I think I just stopped short of kind of stamping my feet and flapping my arms. I don't want to. But eventually, I conceded. I said, oh, all right, we'll go to the gym. And so we signed up, and uh, we had our first, our first class, and there was this oh, way too excited instructor, just like big smiles. Oh, you're going to do it. Yeah, yeah. And this isn't actually part of my sermon, but it's an interesting, interesting tidbit. Uh, you may not be able to see my feet, but you'll notice I can't point them. So I had surgery on when I was a kid, and they don't... But they won't point, right? And she kept doing these exercises where I had to point my toes. And I think like, I'm saying in my head, I, can't, I physically cannot do this. I have limitations. I'm hitting the wall. This is not happening. And she keeps going, you there, come on, you can do it. Point your toes. And I'm like, great, now you've singled me out as well. <laughs> so I, I was just not having fun and we've left and all my muscles are aching. And if you've ever been to Aquarina Gym as well, you've got... Williamson's Road or whatever it is up here, Fitzsimmons Lane, and then this huge hill all the way down. They put the gym at the bottom of the hill, of course, so it's easy to get in and difficult to get out, I guess. And we parked at the top because it was a busy thing. So we had about 300 steps to walk up after doing this ridiculous exercise, alleged exercise. Um, 
And I just didn't have any fun. And unfortunately for Rachel, I made it really unfun for her as well because she had to listen to me complain all the way home. Oh, she did this. Oh, she did that. What a pain. What a nuisance. Oh, I hate this thing. Um, but that's how, that's, that's kind of what, what we can do sometimes is, um, you know, Rachel asked me to do this thing and she had great reasons, but I didn't really buy into it, did I? I eventually conceded because I wanted to make her happy, but ultimately she didn't change my heart. She didn't really change anything inside. She just got me to go along with a behavioural thing. That's it. That's like the absolute opposite of what Paul wants from Onesimus. Wouldn't that be terrible if you're, if, if you, oh, sorry, from Philemon. If, if you're Onesimus and, and Paul sends you home and he sends you with this letter and basically Paul lays the smack down on, on, an, on Philemon and says, you have to take him back. How would that feel? Would that feel like reconciliation? Of course it wouldn't. It would feel like underlying bitterness and begrudgingness. You would just always be thinking, this guy, he hasn't forgiven me. Yeah, I'm here, but it's only because someone's twisting his arm and making him do it. Um, what we need, if there's ever to be real con- reconciliation, is it can't be forced, you can't be guilted into it, it's got to be a change of the heart. Um, so that's, what Paul, that's why Paul doesn't exercise his authority like he could um, because he knows that if you just twist someone's arm as far as reconciliation goes what do you get? You just get someone who's bitter on the inside and pr- smiles at you on the outside um, useless um, I think we all kind of face times uh, in our lives where we have conflict with other Christians I think it's inevitable um, the only way you can avoid that is probably to uh, go live on an island, um, maybe cut yourself off from Christian community, because the reality is we live in a fallen world, we're imperfect people, um, we are inevitably going to rub up against each other, and when we do, if you've ever rubbed two rough objects up against each other, bits break off, and uh, people get upset. Um, happens in marriages, happens in friendships, happens in churches um, you know how does it look in churches sometimes it's oh they didn't do the thing that I wanted them to do or didn't do it the way I wanted them to or said something that I disagreed with or whatever or, or maybe they said something to someone I'm friends with that I didn't agree with so I'll take his side I'll take her side and seriously this is what happens at churches they, they start getting into factionalism Who, whose side are you on and then they split um, and it's a terribly sad thing um, so in the case of Philemon, uh, we can look at this and we can say, okay, there's been, there's been a, an issue here. There's been a breakdown of relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. What's the model for forgiveness? Um, and I should say, there's, um, there's a little side issue here as well that you may have picked up. Um, Paul says, if he owes you anything, um, I'll pay it back. Now, maybe he's saying, saying that in kind of a metaphorical way, like, he, he hurt you by leaving, he offended you, he wounded you. If, if he owes you anything, I'll pay it back. Um, or maybe, he's, maybe, maybe the guy just nicked a bunch of stuff from the house when he left. Uh, we don't know. But Paul's, Paul's getting in there and he's saying, you know what, I'll pay it back. But it comes with this great little um, caveat of, sure, I'll pay it back, but just remember, you owe me everything you have. So at some level, there's no paying it back, is there? That's like... That's like going to, you know, if you had life-saving surgery, 
going to the person who donated the organs and them and, and kind of saying, well, you kind of owe me because I've got your organs now, you know. I'm looking after them for you, so don't you owe me something? Um, he owes Paul his faith. And that may not, you, you might kind of think, well, what is that? But when you think about it, he owes Paul his eternity. He owes Paul, Paul introduced him to Christ. Without that, you know, he might have had more slaves or he might have had more money or whatever, but at the end of the day, it's pretty useless. He really owes Paul more than he can, more than he can repay by forgiving um, Onesimus. In fact, um, Paul, Paul kind of says, yeah, you could, you could take him back as a slave, but you know what? If you really want to do the right thing, you'll forgive him entirely. You'll release him. Um, so what sort of grounds does Paul make that appeal on? And this is where we can kind of go, okay, we can start paying attention as to what this means for us. Um, there's three... See if this works. Um, there's three bases. Oh, there we go. Uh, the first one, the first one, is on the basis of his love for Christ, and on the basis of his love for Paul. Um, if we were to jump back to verse four, uh, you'd see Paul when he writes to Onesimus to Philemon. I'm always getting names confused. Uh, when he writes to Philemon, he says all this great stuff about him, doesn't he? He says, "You've refreshed the hearts of the saints. You're a great guy. You're, you're great in ministry." Thumbs up. Um, so they have a good relationship and he's a good guy. Um, so he says, you know, you, that's who you are. Therefore, if all that's true, if it hasn't been some sort of fake act, if you really do love Jesus and if you really do love me, then, hey, this isn't an obligation. This is something you're going to want to do. Forgiveness is something you're going to want to do as an expression of your love for Christ. Um, he doesn't want the obedience that, uh, you know, like I said before, I'm going to twist your arm, I'm going to make you do it, because what do you get out of that? You don't get forgiveness, you just get bitterness. He says, no, I believe you genuinely love Christ, and if you genuinely love Christ, how are you going to argue against forgiveness? You know, what are you going to say? No, Jesus doesn't like forgiveness, he's not into it. Of course not. He loves it. It's his whole thing. So, if we're directed throughout the Bible uh, over and over again to forgive each other, What's it often followed with? As Christ has forgiven us. Just like Onesimus, just like Philemon uh, owes Paul his, you know, his very faith, we owe Christ our salvation. Um, who are we to say to Jesus, oh, I don't have to forgive this person who stood on my toe in church because you know, they owe me something now, even though Christ has forgiven us so much and he's asking us to forgive each other. What, what sort of argument do we have? There's a great, um, again I'm diverging a little bit, but um, Jesus tells this fantastic parable of, uh, it's called something like the unforgiving servant or something like that, the, the merciless servant. Um, and essentially there's a king, um, this guy owes him some money, not much. Um, so the king draw, brings him up and says, I want my money. And uh, the guy says, oh, I don't have it, I can't pay it, please forgive me, I don't want to go to prison. Uh, so the king says, fine, we'll, we'll just call it done. You don't owe me anything, go on your way. And this guy um, leaves the court, he has a friend that owes him less money. So not as big a deal as that, owes him less money. And he says, 
where's my money? And the guy says, I don't have it. Please forgive me. I can't get the money. It's too much. Da, da, da. And he says, no way. You're going to prison. Uh, I want my money. You're not getting out until I get my money. And that's what we're like when we hold uh, offences over people and we say, oh, I'll, I'll take forgiveness from Jesus, but I'm not going to give it out. Um, there's nothing that anyone could do to us that compares with the sort of stuff that God's forgiven us in terms of uh, our rebellion against him. So who are we to hold that back? Um, so that's kind of basis number one on, uh, over his, his love for Christ and his love for Paul. Um, the second one is on the basis of their partnership or if you like their shared vision to see the gospel spread and this is a great thing because I think to a person in this room we, we would all agree we want to see the gospel spread we want to see um, lots of people up and down this street up and down this town around this country around this world we want to see people get to know Jesus right um, I would say that's a fairly uh, core value of what we do here and why we're here. So, smattered throughout this, uh, this book, um, Paul makes these references to his ministry. You know, he says, I'm in chains to the gospel. And he talks about his uh, partnership with Philemon and that. So, it's clear that they share some sort of ministry history. Um, and they're obviously both very passionate about that. Paul's given his whole life and more. Um, and Onesimus has actually been helping Paul out with that. So, yeah, he left in a bad way, but he's been he's been actually participating in the spread of the gospel, um, and so he actually even says as a little bit of a you know a little bit of a joke. He says, you know, your slave who ran away, he's been here with me. He's been kind of he's he's been taking your place. It's almost like you sent him to me. He's been your your proxy, your stand-in. So he's kind of going, ah, you know, you should be happy about this. This guy's been doing you a favour. He's been here doing the stuff that you couldn't be here to do. Uh, what a good slave he is. Um, so, out of that we say, well, for ministry to work, there has to be a functioning expression of Christ's body. You can't have ministry and not work together. It's a team thing. Uh, it's a body thing. Um, if we're not functioning interrelationally, if we're not getting along, then you can throw your ministry out the window. It's not going to last. Um, you need unity. You need teamwork. Um, and if people are walking around kind of holding, you know, undealt with offences, grudges, uh, this person did this to me 10 years ago, um, then all those things can't happen. Unity can't happen. Teamwork can't happen. And ultimately the gospel suffers. So that's, that's kind of the bare bones of it. Um, also, it becomes a poor witness. You know, let's imagine someone comes off the street today and uh, they walk in and we're all kind of angsty with each other. They'll pick that up. They'll know. Um, it's always apparent. I don't know if you've ever been at a family gathering where this uncle's not speaking to that uncle or whatever and there's that awkward tension in the air and it's kind of like you can see them sitting at opposite ends of the tables and it can get a... You know, it's palpable, isn't it? Um, how much more so in a church, you know? If, if you walked in here and you didn't know anyone, imagine we were all at each other's throats. Even if we did it with smiles on our faces it becomes pretty clear pretty quick and that person's going to walk away thinking uh, if that's what the church is like I'll just join the cricket club what's the difference um, so we've, we've got to kind of um, set the bar high I guess if you like um, I used to work for a mission organisation called OM um, 
you guys may have had some contact with them over time. Uh, and uh, they have a ship, or they had a ship. They now have a different ship, the original ship. Uh, the Doulos was the one when I was working there. It used to be the oldest sea-going vessel in the world. It's in the Guinness Book of Records. And uh, the way they staff this ship, it's a ministry ship, goes from country to country, um, just doing evangelism, basically, uh, and distributing Bibles and literature and stuff like that. But it's staffed by people from over 90 countries. So I think they had something like 300 crew. Um, I think that's right, 300. Uh, and uh, 90 different countries represented. And these guys, like, that's a big deal. You know, you think about, um, you could have people from uh, countries that back home, they're actually at war with each other. Um, when I joined, we had the uh, first Jewish Christian join OM, right? So that becomes a real big deal when the ship starts stopping off at countries in the Middle East. Um, there, sometimes it would pull up a country, some crew couldn't leave the ship because if they left the ship, um, they, they just, they wouldn't, well, for starters, they wouldn't get a visa and stuff, but they were, they were going into hostile territory, if you like. So the amazing thing was, and what dignitaries and, and diplomats, because they would have a lot of very high-powered people visit the ship, um, they actually had royalty in, in the Middle East visit the ship, I think from Qatar or something like that. And uh, what they'd often comment on is, it is amazing, you know, you've got 300 people here from 90 different countries, different languages, different cultures, uh, different values, and you all get along and you all work together. And so it got a nickname, the Floating UN. That was its nickname, the Floating UN. Um, but that was one of its biggest um, testimonies, you know. You couldn't, you couldn't deny if you stood on there and watched them worship together, watched them pray for each other, um, could hear people doing that in a multitude of different languages. I even met couples who met on the ship, got married, uh, did not share a common first language. So uh, he might be from Brazil, she might be from China. Uh, they would both learn English to communicate and, and they get married. You know, this sort of stuff happens. It's amazing and it is a huge testimony to what Christ can do, what the Holy Spirit can do in us if we're going to be open about it and say, yeah, fix me up. Um, we can have a unity that is unparalleled in this world. So that's the other thing. Um, ministry, a shared vision of the gospel. Lastly, the third, the third reason why, um, why Philemon should forgive Onesimus Excuse me. Is on the basis that they're now equals. So yeah, society might say Philemon is here, Anesimus is here, slave owner, slave. Uh, we might experience that today. We might have rich person, poor person, successful person, not very successful person. Uh, we might say this person really valued in society gets a lot of respect. This guy, ah, uh, not so much. Um, can take a whole bunch of different forms, popular, unpopular, beautiful, ugly, um, socially, agree, you know, like a real social butterfly, um, bit of a loner, and we, we start to do this hierarchy of people we like, people we don't like. Uh, oh, yeah, I really want them on my ministry because they're like a real champion, everyone loves them. This guy, uh, not so much. Um, and we start to do that, and we start to play, place those sort of value statements on people. But the reality is we are all 
equal in Christ. There is no difference. Um, so when Anesimus accepted Christ, what did he become? He became a new creation. And all that stuff, all that sort of, oh, you're a slave, oh, you're not the right race, you're not the right colour, you're not the right whatever, educational level, um, all that stuff becomes meaningless. Um, the Bible says, um, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, you're all one, you're all equal. So if you look around this room now, you're all equal. If you were to go to another church, you're all equal. Uh, when you go to heaven, there's how many billion Christians hanging out there, you will all be equal. There's not going to be uh, Pope someone here and lowly Montmorency guy here. Um, all equal in Christ. Um, nothing we have done has saved ourselves. Uh, God saved us. So Paul really pushes that point home. Um, and says uh, he's a dear brother. He's no longer a slave, he's a dear brother. And some people have said, ah, oh, you know, Paul really should have spoken out about slavery. He should have said, ah, oh, slavery's wrong, whatever. It's not really the point of the letter. Um, he's not really endorsing slavery either. He's just not making a comment about it. Um, but he leaves no uncertainty to the fact that Onesimus is a Christian, he's a brother, and he's, at the core of it, he's no longer a slave. Um, and really he just says, Philemon, you just need to recognise this. You just need to get with the program. He's not a slave anymore. Um, and that would have been un- unheard of at the time. You know, They had very stratified society. Um, you couldn't just kind of jump levels uh, like that. But Paul says, well, you know what? We're outside of that system. We don't have levels. We're all equal. Um, so when it comes to the kingdom of God, we've really got to grasp this equality issue. Um, otherwise we do become that unmerciful servant uh, that I spoke about earlier. Um, we say, oh yeah, I'll accept forgiveness, but I'm a dam, I don't give it out. I'm a wall, nothing gets past me. Water comes in, nothing gets out. Forgiveness comes in, doesn't get out. Um, and this, it, to go back to that, um, that story, this is, how, this is how it finishes. The, the master is enraged when he finds out that the, that the servant's going around, you know, punishing people, and not forgiving. He says, You wicked servant, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had in you? On you, should I say. And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Essentially, he cancelled the forgiveness. And that is, in all seriousness, the, the risk we run when we hold offences over each other and we say, I won't be a forgiving person then we, we invite God to say, well, I'll treat you with that same standard. Um, and we really can't afford that. Because um, Jesus finishes that parable saying, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So let me just summate and close. Uh, we're all sinners and we're saved by the grace of God. And when we stand in judgment over one another, we, we just deny that grace. If Philemon had said, no, I'm not going to forgive Onesimus, then he would have been denying this gospel that he says he loves and he's part of and all this. And when we refuse to reconcile uh, with brothers and sisters in Christ and we, we're happy with the status quo of broken relationship, we're happy to kind of have the wound, um, then we're doing the same thing and we're doing the wrong thing. Um, Paul offers to pay whatever Onesimus owes Philemon. It's more than just an issue of money. Um, he's mirroring Christ. 
Uh, Christ took our debts upon himself to secure our reconciliation with God and he's reminding Philemon that he owes his very self. Um, We're reminded that no matter how great a debt we think someone owes us, it pales in comparison to the debt we owe Christ, um, which is our very selves. Um, So to bring this all back to where we started, back to that frame, um, Paul's no stranger to conflict. Um, I'm certain it wasn't easy for him to resolve his differences with John Mark. They sound pretty serious, even though they don't get a lot of mention. Sounds like it was a pretty big deal. But this is how he finishes uh, the book of Philemon. And this is why I think this is really beautiful. He writes this. So just closing line. He says, uh, he's writing his greetings, you know, this guy says hi, this guy says hi. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, he sends you his greeting. And so does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. So when he writes this letter, he's made up with Mark. He says, Mark's my fellow worker. Um, and so he's writing from some, as someone who has gone through this, who has experienced it. He's not just tossing out commands. He's done it, he's lived it, and he invites us to live it too. Um, and so let me pray for us. And, uh, I'll hand it back to Stuart. Lord Jesus, uh, we should be uh, flawed by the sort of forgiveness that you've poured out on our lives. Um, It should just be part of our very being to think, wow, we rebelled against the God of the universe and rather than punish us, he forgave us. So I just pray for each of us that um, we'd be able to search our own hearts and think, okay, so who haven't we forgiven? And uh, are we going to do that? Are we going to open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit? Are we going to say, yes, you can, you can get in here and um, mess with my internals. Um, you can work on my heart. And are we going to let go of the, of the wounds? Are we going to let go of holding grudges over people? Um, I pray that we would. I pray that your spirit would convict us in that area. And that as a church, we would, um, we would be committed to open, loving, grace-filled relationship with each other um, that doesn't hold grudges but is uh, just absolutely sold out for reconciliation with each other and then sharing that with the world around us. We pray a blessing on this uh, congregation and uh, yeah, we just thank you for your great word through Paul here. Amen.